welcome to a Kessler Foundation Human Performance and Engineering Research Guest Speaker Presentation. Guest Speaker Marum Vixen, a Cattell Professor of Biomedical Engineering at the City College of New York, of the City University of New York, and Co-Director of the Neutral Engineering Group at the New York Center for Biomedical Engineering, presented Understanding the Benefits and Uses of Transcranial Direct Current Stimulation. For more information about Dr. Bixon, check out his online bio and research lab. A link is provided within the description of this podcast. This presentation was recorded by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Friday, July 13, 2018, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey. Let's listen in. I'm going to be talking about transcranial direct current stimulation. I'm going to be talking about TDCS. Um, and I'm going to be really focusing on sort of the basic mechanisms of how it works, sort of the, the features of the technology. Uh, and I'm not going to go through like a shopping list of, of you know, what it works for, you know, a lot of the translational applications, even though I know that is obviously the interest here, right? But what I'm hoping is that I think, I think understanding the basics of the tool you know, is essential to deploy it correctly. So I still think that focusing uh, here today on sort of on some of the mechanistic issues I think is really the, 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 the good information to convey, but I'm also happy to talk about, you know, how would you necessarily use it for this application for that, as, but I think these are, these are the building blocks. So these are my disclosures, and, I'll, and um, uh, I'm gonna put all my slides and, uh, and a link to the references on my Twitter account. I know also uh, Kessler will be, will, will, be, will be recording this talk. Okay, um, I think a lot of people here are familiar with TDCS. For those of you who have not seen it, this is what it looks like on my head. Um, there are uh, two, in this case, pink sponges uh, that are being held to my head by this um, see-through strap. And um, with TDCS, there are always two electrodes, uh, just like there's two wires uh, always you know, for, for an electrical circuit. Uh, and we call the positive wire the anode in electrical stimulation, and we call the negative wire the cathode. Those are just the fancy terms that we use. And so you have the anode and the cathode. And if you look closely, you can see the sort of um, cables coming out of those sponges. They're kind of going down the, 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 the side of my neck. Um, and those cables are actually connected to a TDCS stimulator, which I'm very insistent to say is not just a 9-volt battery, but that's what I illustrated here. For, but but it is, it, they are, these stimulators are powered by 9-volt batteries, and that's important because you know, they, they can be extremely small. They're not wall-powered. They can be wearable. So that, that is an important aspect of it. And again, the 9-volt battery has its positives and negative terminals. Um, TDCS is usually left on the head with the current passing for tens of minutes. That's a typical how long a session is, and I can unpack why that is. Um, it can be applied once, or there's many applications where it might be applied daily, so like you know, five times uh, per week uh, for several weeks. And, and people always ask why five times, because you know, we want our weekends off, right? That's the only, that's the scientific explanation for that. And the notion of anode and cathode is important. It's really important to understand the mechanisms of TDCS because they're not considered to be the same. And it's consi they're considered to have distinct actions of the brain. And you'll hear the terms anodal and cathodal TDCS. Now what does that mean? If there's always an anode and always a cathode, am I getting anodal or am I getting cathodal? And so what anodal and cathodal actually means is, is the brain region that you want to influence nearer the anode, and then we'll call it anodal. So let's say motor was the target 
this might be a nodal TDCS, a motor region, but the cathode is still there, and vice versa with cathodal. So these are just, these are uh, more statements of hypothesis. So why the anode and cathode so different? So now I'm showing you kind of a cartoon. There is the surface of the head with the anode and cathode on top. The anode being the positive is where current is entering the body. The current is being pushed in, and so it's, it's entering, and current is a positive quantity, and under the cathode, the current is exiting. And that other thing I'm trying to illustrate there is sort of the cortex, right? So this sheet of neurons on the surface of the head. So as the current enters and exits the head, it's going to enter, right, the cortex, and it's going to exit the cortex. And it turns out that, that this directionality is very important. So this is a cartoon of, let's say, layer five, six pyramidal neurons. These are sort of that sheet is, is lined with these cells. Um, and some of them, as I've illustrated here, are asymmetric. And the, no, and the theory is, and it's, it's a substantiated theory, that under the anode, let's call it the anodal version of stimulation, the somas of these cells are depolarized, while the branch dendrite up top is hyperpolarized. Well, under the cathode, the soma is hyperpolarized, while under the anode, uh, well, the, the apical sort of dendrite is depolarized. So we're saying that neurons uh, under the anode have their soma depolarized, and this is believed to maybe lead to an increase in function or excitability or plasticity of that brain region, while neurons under the cathode have their soma hyperpolarized. And what this leads to is a little bit more of a question, but maybe something related to inhibition. But um, because of this difference in current flow, we have an opposite polarization, because we have an opposite polarization. On the one hand, we have soma depolarizing. On the other hand, we have soma hyperpolarizing. And this is really the, the, both the foundations of TDCS and also the theory that's sort of been unraveled and, and attacked you know, for its oversimplicity also as we, as we cut into TDCS. And, and it's really, you know, if you have been following TDCS, you're certainly aware that there's a lot of controversy associated with it. Um, on the one hand, if you Google TDCS plus whatever disease you're interested in, MS, or even whatever aspect of disease you're interested in, right, MS and fatigue, you'll find out that it's been done and the studies are positive. And there's many reasons for that, right? There's a publication bias, there's a file drawer problem, and so on. But that's where you get this notion of, of, of panacea, which is hard to believe. It's hard to believe that anything, even if it works for one thing, it's very hard to believe one intervention could cure all neurological and all psychiatric diseases, right? It seems kind of unbelievable on one level, right? Uh, and yet you have, um, in one extreme perhaps, people who are really claiming it to that sense. And then the other extreme, you have people who say it's all a wash, it's all a snake oil, because by definition, if I give you a jar and I tell you that it's gonna cure your depression and you know, your cousin's epilepsy and your horse will run faster, your gut instinct, as it should be, to be like, I'm actually gonna assume that it's gonna do nothing. Because right, that's exactly what snake oil is. And so you have that extreme as well. And, 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 and obviously, I, as I'm going to explain here, I think the answer is rather not, it's not one extreme or the other. I think both these extremes are wrong. I think rather it's complicated. And, and that's why I want to focus on mechanisms. Because I, I, don't, I don't think it's as useful to start pulling out like clinical trials and trying to like juggle which ones are good and which ones are bad without understanding some of the foundations leading into it. And, and both sides of this debate uh, actually have made very similar mistakes. And these are really mistakes that have, have, to some extent, crippled the advancement of TDCS. One of them is that people say, well, TDCS, it's a nine volt battery connected to a bunch of sponges. What a simple technique, right? And because it's so simple, right, uh, I'm just gonna take the positive, let's say I want to treat 
speech and speeches, you know, and I'm using it for speech rehab. I'm just going to take the positive terminal of this battery. I'm going to put it somewhere over where I think speech lives, right? And therefore I'm going to enhance speech by boosting that part of the brain. I'm going to take the other negative terminal. Don't pay any attention. I'm just going to put it somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. And that's it. And that's how I've rationalized my clinical trial. And I'm not really going to pay much more attention. And moreover, I'm not going to get any training on TDCS. I'm just going to kind of assume that it's so simple. I must be able to do it without any possible training and so on. And, and so because the, the technique is so simple, Right, because truthfully, done, it can be applied you know, by undergraduates on, under, on, on, on other undergraduates in psychology labs just to see how it affects you know, behavior and cognition. It's true. There's almost like this extreme reaction where people therefore approach the technique with almost like a casualness that you would never apply to anything else. That you would never do it. You would never in science start using a, a tool without having really familiarized yourself with the ins and outs of it. And, and, that's, and that's one issue. Um, the other aspect of it is, again, that TDCS, ultimately, I showed you this notion of like anode up, cathode down. It's not so simple because the brain is not so simple. So that means that the effects of TDCS are going to be complicated. And this leads to a weird opposite reaction where if there's a study on TDCS for one thing, applying TDCS in a certain way and looking at certain outcome measures, and there's a study for TDCS for, let's say, the same patient population, but very different exclusion, exclusion criteria, different, different outcome measures, and they somehow have different results, people kind of conflate them too, right? They say, well, this one went up, this one went down, therefore TDCS must do nothing at all because it's so on. And, and so there's this other issue where people really miss out on the nuance of it as well. And so again, that's, that's trying to motivate why I'm, I'm really going to be focusing here on, on the basics today. One of the things we, we know with TDCS is that you can put the electrodes on different parts of the brain. So on the left is what's called the M1SO montage. It's actually like a C3 in sort of a superorbital position like this. And that's what you saw in my head before. Um, you could actually position those electrodes anywhere else you want as well. Um, that's using large electrodes. There's another way to do TDCS where instead of using those large sponges I showed you, you use small um, electrodes, more like EEG electrodes. So if they're smaller, that means you can put more on the head, because you can't fit 10 sponges on the head, right? But you can fit 10 of these small electrodes. And you can configure them in different ways. Every electrode is always either an anode or a cathode. So here I'm showing the anodes in red and, and the cathodes is blue. And what we have is we have the ability to use computational models. This is actually one based on my head. These are MRI-derived models to predict how the current flows through the brain when we try these different montages. So this is the outcome of what those simulations look like. So in the case of the uh, M1SO montage, this sort of motor montage, current flows from one electrode to the other, and it passes through a lot of the brain. Even though this is called the M1SO montage, and M1, right, motor strips, very wishful thinking, right? It sounds like it's just going to stimulate the motor cortex, right? And why do they call this superorbital? Because, right, there's no brain here, right? I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, right? So, but in reality, the M1SO montage will produce current through the motor strip, sure, but premotor, sensory, bunch of frontal regions, deep brain regions as well. So that's what the computational models tell us. In the case of high-definition TDCS, so using arrays, it is possible to deliver current focally to one brain region. And the difference between sponge TDCS and high-definition TDCS is roughly comparable to if you did EEG with two sponges versus EEG with an array, right? It's, it's rather categorical. Still, 
there's, there, in the case of, while, while you would never do EEG with two sponges, there's certainly a lot of validity to do TDCS in some applications with two sponges. But I want to emphasize that when you're using two large electrodes, I, you really need to realize that current is going through multiple nodes in the brain. And what you see, if you see anything, is going to be a result of really stimulating a, a, a large circuit. And it's really impossible. If the M1SO works for pain and for motor rehab, or if it doesn't, right, the interpretation cannot be simply based on M1, even though it's called the M1SO montage. High definition does give you a little bit more nuance to do it, but it's, it's, it's slightly more cumbersome to deploy. And we have now an infinite variation of montages. So think about all the possible positions where you can put two pairs of electrodes. Now imagine having five electrodes or 20 electrodes right, or 30 electrodes, and you can put each one of them in any part of the brain you want, and now you can control each one of them independently. So when we talk about TDCS, it's important to realize we're not actually talking about one thing. We're talking about a whole constellation of things. So if someone on this side of the room does a study on TDCS for, for aphasia rehab and it does not work, and someone on this side of the room does a study for TDCS for aphasia rehab and it does work, they might have actually tried two very different things. Why are they very different things? Because the current went into the brain in very different locations, and hence the outcomes might be very different. And so it would be a very big mistake, for example, to do a meta-analysis and just say, net nothing, or, some, or, or even if there is a net effect, there's still two different interventions. And that's a very important idea to keep in mind. It seems often lost um, when people look at TDCS. It's not, it's not one thing if you believe that putting current to different parts of the brain has different outcomes and what the stimulation would do, which, which, which underpins it. And there's a lot of sophistication here, so rather than just trying to put the pads wherever you want, it's actually possible to do this in the opposite way, where you identify a brain region that you're interested in, and software that, that you know, this is, this is sort of an open source code that you can run, right, will actually tell you where you need to optimally position the electrodes in order to get current to that one brain region. So, that, so again, one approach is to use sort of an established montage, like the M1SO, which does get motor, but gets something else. Another approach might be to say, I want to stimulate the motor cortex, give me the optimal montage to do it. And I want to emphasize that, that that tool sort of is available already. Another important idea is that different people are different because our heads are so different. So if you give everyone in this room the same TDCS, let's say we decide it's going to be the M1SO montage, let's do it. The resulting current flow pattern through each one of our brains will be substantially different because not only our brains, but our skulls, everything, the whole distance between them isn't even the same. We have very different shaped heads. And this is something we've looked at um, um, both using intracranial recording in people. How do you do that? These are people who are candidates for like epilepsy resection. So they got the electrodes in their heads already. But we've also done this with computational models. And it's not surprising. In this particular case, this was a, um, an, a group that was interested in um, using TDCS for um, craving. So th these subjects range from super obese uh, to like borderline anorexic. Turns out I'm fat. I found that out is because they included my BMI was included in that as well. Um, but in any case, even across healthy individuals, you can get several fold difference in the intensity in each, each in each brain region. And this is a major confound because now everyone's getting M1SO but we're each getting something different at the level of our brain. Someone here is getting a majority of the current in the M1, someone here is getting the majority of current in some prefrontal region, and someone else is getting a majority of the current somewhere in the middle, and th three times as much as that. So this is, this is something we need to be aware of, and, and, and so when, we're, when we run a TDCS trial, we're actually giving everyone something a bit different. 
And that for me is a fundamental source of variability. Um, and is this, by the way, this is relevant for here, obviously, is amplified when we're talking about atypical anatomy. When you have a stroke and that part of the brain gets sort of essentially cannibalized and replaced with CSF, that is much more conductive than the surrounding brain, and, 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 and that changes current flow pattern. This is something we've known for a long time. Um, I'm just going to go through this very briefly. This is an individual who was part of a trial, uh, was actually a responder, um, they had aphasia. Uh, this was in um, the Carolinas. Um, and anyway, just there, there is a hole in their brain. And as a result of that, if this individual received the same montage that I did, the resulting current flow pattern in their head, never mind that part of their brain is missing, the actual pattern through the other parts of the brain would be very altered. Uh, in this case, we're simulating a four by two montage. So there's two anodes in the middle and four cathodes on the outside and the target was the um, paralegional region. So how do you deal with this? Well, one option is that you take an MRI from each individual and you design an intervention for their brain. So instead of giving everyone M1SO, right, you give everyone the montage that is best suited to stimulate their motor cortex. The software to do this is, is, is um, recently you know, um, available. So this is a software re-release called Roast. It's free in the sense that you need MATLAB. It just needs one line of code. You can upload any MRI into it and you can simulate any montage that you want. There's also commercial softwares as well and there's other sort of um, freely available softwares as well. So now you have the option, should you want to, right, to individualize uh, the dose. Is this done? No, it's actually very rarely done. Right, because there's cost issues and historical issues, but I'm trying to motivate you. Even if you don't do it, you should recognize that the variability you see in your own trial and in the literature is going to have this inter-individual element then um, caked into it. Another really subtle point um, that we have to talk about uh, is, is really the, this, this, this breakdown of the whole anode and cathode, and this is why. So here's a, an anode electrode and a cathode electrode, you know, anterior, posterior. And, and it's actually placed across the motor strip. And so current flows from the positive to the negative, and as it does so, it cuts into the motor strip and then out of the motor strip. So if we look at it another way, so these arrows show the false color here, I'm sorry, I think I glossed over this, the false colors show the level of intensity with hotter brain regions getting more current flow, but the arrows show you the direction, and what you can see is the current is actually entering one side right, of that gyri, and it's exiting under the other. So the, and here, I'll just to make it really clear, here's their cartoon, it's entering on one side and exiting in the other. Now the right side is what we call the anodal, the entry, the, excito the excitatory, nominally, right? And on the, on the, on the other side, the I guess my left, on the right side here is the exit. So in the same gyri now, we have an entry and an exit, and I said the entry is excitatory, right, and the exit is inhibitory, what does that mean? And this isn't, and even though I'm illustrating this just for the one um, um, sort of gyri in the middle, this ends up being true of the whole brain. It actually, TDCS actually produces a zebra pattern of entry and exit. This isn't true in animal models where they sort of have this nice smooth cortex for us to study, like rats, you know what I mean? But it's certainly true in the case of people. And so because of this very extreme level of folding that we've developed, the whole notion of anode and cathode actually starts to break down. There really isn't any sense of a nodal or cathodal anymore. Um, and so then the question is, well then, it's, is it a net nothing? 
right? If you're saying, well, the one side is excitation, the other side is inhibition, will that gyri be net not affected, right? So, you know, the, the sort of the whole thing ends up being a wash. And it turns out that isn't the case at all. And I, and I don't want to, there's a lot I want to cover. And so the, all the references are here. And so I don't want to unpack this in too much detail. But I guess what I want to explain is that um, it turns out that the way the brain works is not a zero-sum game, right? The brain is very nonlinear. The brain is very complex. And one of the things we have known for a while that TDSS can do is it can change the input-output relationship of, of a group of cells. What that means is that for a certain input, you normally get a certain output, right? So these cells receive input from some part of the brain, and then they produce an output. The more input they receive, the more output they receive. The more input they receive, the more output they receive. At some point, you saturate. They can't produce any more input. So that's this sort of, um, that's sort of the standard input-output relationship. And what we're doing here is in an animal model, this is actually in a, in, a, in a reduced animal model, we are probing a particular part of the brain and we're generating an input-output curve, right? For a certain size input to this brain region, how strong of an output does it produce? And what we and others have found out is that when you then apply the animal version of TDCS, you change this input-output relationship in a very peculiar way where now for the same input, you produce a bigger output. So now let's say our target is the motor, the, the, the motor strip. We're applying TDCS to the motor strip, right? And we're holding it there. Input is arriving to the motor strip, and that motor strip now produces a larger output in response to that input, right? That is, that is the basic idea. And, and it turns out, and again, I know there's a lot of information here. It turns out that when you do the nodal variation, you can really boost this input-output relationship. So this is in, in the control, and this is after TDCS. But when you do the cathodal variation, which is sort of the inhibitory variation, you don't influence it very much. You produce a bit of inhibition, but you don't. What that means is that because of the way the brain works, because of these sort of nonlinear channel conductances and all this other complexity, when we apply TDCS, it's easier for us to boost the input-output than to suppress the input-output. And so now, this is, I've drawn it this way on purpose, now here's our gyri, right? And here's current going in, and here's current going out, right? So if you look at the gyri in totality, here we boosted input-output. Here we didn't have much of an effect, so in totality, we had a small increase in the input-output of that gyri. And so it goes back to this notion of when we have this, this um, bi-directional point, is it net zero? We don't think so. We think that there can still be a net effect. And, and there's many other examples uh, in our labs and in other labs that have shown that this sort of in and out aren't net. So for example, if you have oscillations, it's much easier to boost oscillations with the inward than to suppress them with the outward. So the gyri overall will have its oscillations boosted. And I'll show you data related to plasticity as well. Um, and on the one hand, I'm kind of unpacking like the can of worms here with TDCS, right? This is something that maybe you could attend a conference on TDCS and never hear about. But I kind of want to deliberately kind of pull out some of the dirt and the weeds here so, you, so, so you know, we're not hiding anything. Um, but also to explain that, that we, 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 there, there is a lot of nuance here. Um, I'm actually going to, go to, go to, um, I'm going to skip this. Um, okay. I want to get back to this controversy because I kind of want to face it head on. Every few years, it comes up. There's a newspaper article, TDCS doesn't work, right? The literally hundreds of trials that have been published, 
with TDCS showing positive results. It's mass delusion, it's all snake oil, blah, blah, blah. And one of the main reasons they give is that TDCS is low intensity. So this was a recent paper. This was out of a group at NYU. They did a bunch of work, some of it with cadavers. And they basically said this. They said, look, TDCS is a nine volt battery. So it's about nine volts, or in current terms, it's about one milliamp. And so that's not a lot. And they said, it turns out that when you put that on the head, most of that one milliamp doesn't even get into the brain. A lot of it actually goes around the skin, and some of it goes through the skull, but even the part that goes through the skull, a lot of it goes to the CSF. So it turns out only a fraction, let's say 10% of that one milliamp actually makes it to the brain. And because this is such a low amount of current, it can't possibly have an effect. And, and there's two problems with that argument. The first one is the notion that a very small amount gets in is not new. I've shown you those computational models of current flow. I've mentioned that we've done intracranial recordings from people directly. We have known for decades, and there hasn't been any controversy on this fact, that TDCS is, a lot, is very low current to begin with, and of that little current, only a little bit gets in. So I think it's very disingenuous to su suggest that that's a discovery. There's dozens, literally dozens of groups that have converged on, this, on, on the amount of current that gets into the brain, and they've all converged on, on the, roughly the same amount, and yes, it is small. But we know how much gets in, right? So that's not a breakthrough. The other notion is, well, if it's so small, it can't possibly do anything. And so this gets into a very important idea about, about TDCS. Um, I don't have a slide on this. Um, you know, it's, it's, some of you maybe are probably familiar with electroconvulsive therapy, right? That's when people get so much stimulation that they produce a seizure. Electroconvulsive therapy, if TDCS is one milliamp, electroconvulsive therapy is about 1,000 milliamp. When you juice it up to 1,000 milliamp, or if you want to connect yourself to the power line here, the intensity is so high, right, that it starts to drive the brain to fire. Right? It produces all this firing, and ultimately that leads to a seizure. Some of you may be familiar with transcranial magnetic stimulation. These are these wands they hold over the head. And if you do transcranial magnetic stimulation, you can actually produce an involuntary muscle twitch. So if you shock here over the motor cortex, your finger will twitch whether you want it or not. And this is actually used a lot in rehab. It's used for assessment. It's used as a rehab tool in itself. Transcranial magnetic stimulation is another high-intensity intervention. It actually produces an intensity in the brain comparable to ECT, but only for a short period of time, which is why it doesn't produce seizures, right? So again, I'd put that TMS in that 1,000 milliamp category. I can do TDCS to you right now. You would sit there, and nothing's going to happen. There's no overt physical response. And that's part of this pushback that TDCS can't possibly do anything. However, we have always known right, that TDCS is too, weak to do, is, is too weak to trigger firing. But I want to explain to you that, why, why that's a virtue. And so the notion with TDCS is as follows. Here's a, here's a bunch of, so this is our gyri of interest. There's some cells we're interested in, the green ones. There's some cells we're not interested in. They're the brown ones. And we apply TDCS. And even if I could deliver TDCS to just one gyri, that gyri is going to have thousands of different networks and millions of cells that are all doing different things. So I'm saying, even if I could drive it right down to one gyri, that's why I'm illustra illustrating here that there are some cells that I'm interested in and some cells that I'm not interested to influence, right, in that particular brain region. And what we believe happens with TDCS is that, aside from TDCS, we do something that activates a particular population of neurons. So for example, you have the person engage in a task, or you're engaged in cognitive behavioral therapy, or you're having them run, or think about something. And as a result of that, 
The brain becomes active in a peculiar way where you're driving up activity in one network and not in another, right? And so now that's why I'm illustrating here that the green ones are active and, and the other ones are not. And now, for some reason, and I will give you what that reason is, the TDCS interacts with the active network and not with the other one. And this is a very important idea in, in TDCS, and it's something that we call functional targeting. We call it functional targeting to separate it from anatomical targeting. Anatomical targeting is what I talked about until now, and it, and it really focused on how we're we going to put the electrodes on the head to get current to just one brain region, the motor strip, right? Brocas, whatever, okay? Whatever you want to do, right? That's anatomical targeting. Functional targeting doesn't care about anatomical targeting. Functional targeting says, Go ahead and put two large sponges here. Let's pass current through the whole brain. And then let's do something that will activate a particular network. And that network could even be distributed across the whole brain. But only that network will get the benefit of stimulation. And the reason functional targeting works is because TDCS is so low intensity. Right, and that's what I want to explain to you, that you wouldn't get this if you did this, you wouldn't get this with, it's, it's the low intensity that makes this happen. So I'll be showing you data from brain slices. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to really unpack it. These are just rats that have donated their brains and we make them into pancakes and the pancakes stay alive for a while and we can record from them at the cellular and the subcellular level and there's a version of TDCS in rats that we apply. Uh, and so we can apply direct current between wires. Um, we can do a lot of things in a slice that we can't do in a person. One of them is we can do something called optical imaging with voltage-sensitive dyes. This is a dye that stains for the membrane potential, and we can essentially image the polarization produced by TDCS. So here what you have is the baseline membrane potential. So here's the slice, and here's the, the imaging system. Here's the baseline membrane potential. This is the axis of the cell. Here's the soma. Here's the long dendrite. And the TDCS is turned on here, and it's turned off here. And what you can see is that when the TDC is turned on, you produce a polarization. Here's a hyperpolarization. Here's a depolarization because the current is going this way. If I put the current the other way, this would flip as well. But this is that seesaw polarization I showed you before where one, one, one end is depolarized and the other end is hyperpolarized. And we can flip it depending on which way we apply the current. This would be the cathodal inhibitory version, while the other way would be the anodal excitatory version. And so here the soma is hyperpolarized under cathodal. The soma could be depolarized under anodal. It doesn't fire here. This polarization is actually, as I'm estimating here, it's less than a millivolt. To make these cells fire, I would need to move it like 10 millivolts. So you produce a small amount of polarization, but not firing. And again, I'm going to keep asking, this is a virtue. It's not a negative, it's a virtue. We produce a small amount of firing, a small amount of depolarization, not firing. And here's something else obvious, but noted, as long as we leave the DC on, they stay polarized. So if we leave the DC on for, if I put TDCS on your head and I leave it on for one second, your cells are polarized for one second. If I put it on your head and I leave it on for 30 minutes, your cells are held in an altered polarized state for 30 minutes, but not firing. Fortunately for you, right? You're not having, it's not ECT, right? You, you don't even necessarily feel, right, an immediate difference when TDCS is applied to you because it's so low intensity. There's that polarization. All right. This is an experiment that then explains, uh, I think, at, at, a, at a real essential level, how, t how I think TDCS works and also where functional targeting comes from. Because it turns out you, they're the same, it's the same story. How TDCS works and why TDCS is functional targeting is the same explanation. This is the experiment. This is in, 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 in brain slices. And there's two aspects of this experiment. 
The first part of the experiment is we use a small sort of uh, microelectrode to shock the system, to essentially activate a bunch of axons that then travel and release their neurotransmitter onto another population of cells. So we have a presynaptic sort of uh, uh, axons and these postsynaptic cells, and we have a synapse in the middle. And we can directly measure the strength of that synaptic connection. This is the excitatory, for remember in neuroscience, the excitatory postsynaptic potential. Extracellularly, it's called the field excitatory postsynaptic potential. It's upside down. It's kind of like an ERP for people who know EEG. And I'm not going to say much more about it, but this has nothing to do with TDCS at this point. This is what we're doing is we're, we're, we have a slice. We're, little, we're giving it a little zap. Which that information is being transmitted, and we're, we're measuring the connectivity, the strength of connection between two population of cells. This is a really, really exhaustively established me measure of sort of synaptic efficacy. Again, I'm calling it connectivity. We can then apply that with TDCS. And what that means is I will, I will apply the shock without TDCS, or I will apply the shock at the same time as I do either the cathodal or the anodal version of TDCS. So that means we have sort of like a, a baseline strength, right? And now I'm going to apply the TDCS. I'm going to test the system again. My hypothesis is that I can make this either bigger or smaller. My hypothesis is that by holding these cells in a different polarization, I can change the strength of this connection. And this is actually not my hypothesis. This is an idea that has been around for decades. This is one example of one, of one example of literally dozens, literally dozens of experiments that have shown this again and again in animal models. Here, it's upside down now. This is that F, the field. Here's the baseline field EPSP, right? This is a measure of the connectivity between these two populations or a measure of synaptic efficacy. Without, and here we're stimulating up like this. Uh, this is um, like an afferent pathway into the cortex uh, from, from deeper brain regions. Um, this is how big it is without any field. When we do the anodal version, the anodal version is soma depolarizing. We can make this connection bigger. And when we do the cathodal version, we can actually make this connection smaller. And it turns out there's a lot of art and subtlety to this. Sometimes anode is up, and sometimes anode is down, and so on. But it's unequivocal that when you go to a piece of brain tissue and you polarize the cells with direct current stimulation, you change their excitability. Because like membrane potential, it's not surprising. Membrane potential is a very important signal for neurons. Neurons are extremely worried about their, their transmembrane potential, if you remember neuroscience. And if you take this cell here, or more correctly, if you take millions of neurons, and you depolarize their soma by one millivolt, you're not going to make them fire. But what you will do is you will change how they respond to some input. And that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing a bigger response for the same input, or a smaller response for the same input. The direct current stimulation on its own doesn't produce anything. So if you're just applying direct current stimulation, I mean, you, you produce a membrane polarization shift, but you don't produce any of these EPSPs. You don't activate any action potentials. There's no communication between neurons. The reason is that the direct current stimulation only produces less than a millivolt of polarization, and that isn't enough to drive the system. But if we drive the system through some other region, what I'm marking here is this stim, this shock, right? We can then detect a change in the response of that system to that shock. This is inherently functional targeting. Why? Let's say I have one group of neurons here where I'm testing them and producing this baseline shock. And I have another group of neurons here. I'm not showing it. 
where I'm not stimulating them, right? I'm not, I'm not probing them. I'm not producing a, 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 an EPSP to begin with. Now I apply direct current stimulation. I will influence this system, the active system, right? I can make it bigger or smaller. But what about the inactive system? Well, the inactive system was inactive before. And now I've added direct current stimulation, so it's still inactive. So, you know, nothing and nothing is still nothing. So if you have different neurons, and some neurons are active and some neurons are inactive, because the direct current stimulation is so weak, it cannot make the inactive ones active. But it can change the activity, or in this case, the, re the, the response, right, to input of the active ones. And this is an idea that's really um, well ingrained into how TDCS works. I'll take it just one step further, because I think this, this kind of experiment is much more relevant to translational applications, is much more relevant to rehab. Um, and let me just take a minute to, to explain this experiment. We have a, a baseline EPSP. This is a, a, a baseline measure of the connectivity between two brain regions, right, or the responsiveness of a particular, the excitability of a particular brain region. It's and this is tested with a single shock. It's possible instead of one shock to apply a train of shocks, like a tsk. And this is a blast. It could be in, a, in, in different patterns. People could call it theta, or it could be like a 100 hertz train. And it turns out that when you blast the system with this microshock, right, you can make the EPSP bigger in a lasting way. And this is called long-term potentiation. It's considered the animal model of learning, where basically you take a system and you probe it to get sort of its baseline level of excitability. Then you blast it, and you find that after you've blasted it, its level of excitability or the connectivity between two brain regions has gone up and it stays up. So this, is, this has nothing to do with TDCS at this point. This is a classic model of considered learn, an analog of learning in animals called long-term potentiation or LTP. Now we can combine this with TDCS. What that means is that when we apply this blast, not here and not here, but just when we apply this blast, we're going to apply direct current stimulation at the same time. And this is the results of that experiment. And it's, 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 I think it's, a, it's probably the most important uh, slide I have to show you as far, you know. Um, it's hard to tell here, but there's some black dots here that are running, all these dots are around one. And this is the baseline EPSP before we do anything. The point is the slice is stable. Nothing's happening. And in the black trace, what we did is we applied, this means data burst stimulation, this blast, we applied it up. And you can see here the black lines are up and they kind of stay up for a while. This is without direct current stimulation. This is classic LTP, theta burst stimulation. And this is what you see here that, it, um, uh, sorry, this is already the next step. So this is, this is the classic LTP. And now what we do is when we apply the theta burst stimulation, we apply either the anodal or the cathodal version of TDCS. And when we apply the anodal version of TDCS, we produce more plasticity. We produce a bigger change in connectivity. And we can, we, there's a very weak, much weaker effect, but it's still significant when you apply the cathodal version of stimulation where you suppress plasticity. And what, what, what that means sort of in, in, in very sort of direct speak, um, if you have a system that is undergoing plasticity and you apply direct current stimulation at the same time, you can change how much plasticity you get. This is not just our lab. This is a very universally recognized effect of direct current. And, it's, and actually, if you talk to anybody who, who works in neuroscience or studies long-term potentiation, they'll tell you no duh. Because what we know is that plasticity, the induction of plasticity by, by neurons 
is profoundly sensitive to their membrane potential. They're really, there's, a, you know, there's decades of work showing if you change a cell's membrane potential by a little bit, you can change how much plasticity you get. So they'll say it's completely obvious to us that if you apply theta burst LTP induction and you combine that with the depolarization at the soma, you will get more plasticity. It's almost like inevitable. That's what happens. But what's also very interesting here is that this is inherently functional targeting. And the reason is, and I don't show this, but if you apply direct current stimulation on its own without theta burst, it will look like this. The direct current stimulation on its own to a quiescent system does nothing. It doesn't produce firing. It doesn't produce plasticity. It does all of nothing. You do it again and again and again, and it produces all of nothing. And so again, that goes back to this point that if you have two populations, right, and there could be interlaced in space, right, and you have one population that is undergoing plasticity, and you have another group of neurons that is not undergoing plasticity, and you apply direct current stimulation to this whole big brain bath, only the ones that are undergoing plasticity will get the benefit of the stimulation. And this is not even at the network level. This can be down to the synapse level. We're on the same neuron, you have multiple synapses, and the ones that are sort of undergoing plasticity are getting the benefit. Um, all right, just a couple more slides. I'm on time, maybe. All right, a couple more. This is just another experiment where it's so compelling because what we're doing here is we're repeating the theta burst. We're repeating the LTP induction. So LTP induction, LTP induction, LTP induction, without direct current stimulation, without TDCS. And what's very well known is that at some point you plateau. At some point, this isn't a brain slice. It's a very reduced system, but at some point, you're probing it, and the system just can't undergo more plasticity. It's giving you all it can give. We repeat this with direct current stimulation, and here's the experiment you saw before where you got more plasticity on that first round, but you also get more in the second, and then at some point you plateau, but where you plateau is actually higher than where you would plateau otherwise. What that means is that if, you're, if the system is undergoing normal plasticity, this is an, this experimental system, right, you don't, the point is you don't just accelerate the plasticity, and let me say accelerate learning, you also boost your maximum capacity for it. Uh, and again, this is, this is a finding that is really exhaust, again, this is not like a question mark, maybe, in far as, as far as animal models go, this is an exhaustively validated, almost inevitable outcome. Uh, and, so, and, and so to sort of bring it full circle, talking about TDCS, I think we, we need to be thinking about two different things. Um, one of them is anatomical targeting, and one of them is, is functional targeting. Anatomical targeting has to do uh, with where you put the electrodes, right? In this case, actually, it's an, it's an, there's an electrode here in the arm, and there's an electrode here, right? That will determine where current flows through the brain. You can do regular TDCS with the sponges, or you can do high definition. There is no magic bullet in either case. You're going to be get generating, you know, you're going to be stimulating a pocket of the brain. We combine that with functional targeting. And what that means is that the person is doing something. They're practicing something. They're being trained in something, right? And it's together, right, that we have a plausible hypothesis for how TDCS could work. And now you can also start to understand how TDCS could be used for so many different things, right? Because depending on how you apply it, and also whether you're practicing piano or whether you're practicing to talk, you're going to get very different outcomes. The specificity, in fact, doesn't come from the TDCS at all. It's not the 9-volt battery. The, the, the plasticity doesn't even come from the 9-volt battery. That is the brain's own engine for plasticity. We are just massaging it along. 
right? We're just massaging along that process. And so, and so I, I, I'm going to stop here, but I think it kind of, I hope, I hope it kind of brings back to this notion of when you see meta-analysis and people are like collapsing things together and they're not thinking about anatomical or functional targeting, they're saying, well, this study said it went up and this side said it went down. I'm like, of course, they did different things. So if you, even if you believe them both, that's almost what you'd expect. And, and it also gets to a lot of issues where I think in many cases TDCS is not being run correctly. Right? When people, let's say, are not thinking about functional targeting, then what, what, if you just apply TDCS to someone just sitting there, what does that mean? Where's the engine for plasticity? Right? And of course there's explanations for that as well. But I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I think I'm at, I'm at time and if there's time for questions. I'm happy to take them or, okay. For more information about Kessler Foundation and its researchers, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That is K-E-S-S-L-E-R-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.